Hey, and welcome to Shitty Book Reports, where the reports are shitty, but the books are not. I'm Mark. I'm here tonight with Trevor. How are you feeling? I feel good. I feel newly minted. How do you feel? I feel fired up. It's uh, the, the NHL playoffs just started, so um, you know that's a good time of year for me, if you're me, or a bunch of other people, but not <laughs> that many. <laughs> it's still the lower tier sport. You, you would call wise, it a lower tier sport? Popularity. It's like top, it's like in the big four or whatever, but it's never as big as the other ones. No. So what is the, the, the draft is just the sh- team shuffling around? What? No. Yeah. Yeah. The bracket. Mm. It's like March Madness, but better in my opinion. I don't know. Mm, all right. Like the fir- this first, like, so it started yesterday and the, for the first like month. There's a game on every night because it's so dense, densely packed. Oh, nice. Yeah, and they don't play just like one game. It's a it's a whole series. So does anything like happen in games. Denver? Yeah, the the Avalanche are like a favorite right now. They're they're just they're playing actually right uh, as we speak, and they're gonna, crushing Nashville. You gonna go to some games? <laughs> Maybe that, it's, I'm only possible? I'm only like 15 minutes away, but the tickets are expensive, so mm. we'll see. All right. Why, why are you feeling newly minted? What's that all about? I feel newly minted because I just spent the better part of a month in Australia. And uh, it was awesome. It was amazing. Went there with my wife to meet her family and everything. But it just like after so long, like a return back feels like like rebirth or something. Yeah, Seems like, yeah, long, yeah. long time away. Long time away. Home. I didn't drive for like a month because <laughs> there's like, you know, really good public transport everywhere yeah. except America. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so I have an intro today and it's a returning segment. Mm. Probably the fourth time we've covered this, maybe. Let's okay. Uh, we used to play our games more frequently. We used to like yeah. <laughs> have like like redo games, and now we just like find some article or something. So it's always good to play a game. Yeah. Well, this isn't a game, but all right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> okay, you didn't call it right, but we're uh, we're checking in on our boy here, Mister Art Garfunkel. Art Garfunkel he, update. Yeah, biannual. You know, it's been like it's been like six, seven months since we took a look at his library right so and it's still being uh, updated eh? yeah yeah i took a look at it he's got a bunch of stuff he's added in the last uh you know since last july i think yeah i'm i'm tempted to just go look at it but i know that might be part of your <laughs> part of the mystique so i won't yeah so i'm gonna go through i'll go through all the new entries either read like a blurb or a quick review or something so this but, uh, in theory this should be what he's read the last six months Yes. Okay. So you got to think about like his headspace, uh, why he's reading these. And More celebs need to do this. Yeah. I mean, I guess Obama does it, but whatever. His are fake. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like whatever's on the top of the bestsellers. Where but, the crawdads uh, sing. Yeah. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't read old stuff. He's like, these are the best books I read because, like, I 
you know. It is true that the Obama it, book list is never like one random Faulkner or something. It's like or anything that's more than a year old. Yeah, it's, it's like all the New York Times bestseller list and then like a bunch yeah. of like political discourse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess if there was something that came back to the new bestseller because of a movie or something, like maybe that might be on the list, but I don't know. Obama's so first book here. reading Lord of the Rings again. Yeah, I don't know. You think he's ever read it? <laughs> Probably. Kind of cool. But uh, so I do. Here, here's the first one. This is Mike Nichols, A Life by Mark Harris in uh, 2021. Oh, okay. I forget who Mike Nichols is. I did too. But so this blurb will kind of remind you. Mike Nichols burst onto the scene as a, as a wonderkind. While still in his 20s, he was half of a hit improv duo with Elaine May that was talking to country. Next, he directed four consecutive hit plays, back-to-back mm. Tonys, uh, Who Was Afraid of Virginia Woolf, and oh, okay. then uh, The Graduate, right. which won him an Oscar. So that guy. So you can see the obvious connection there. You know, there's Wait, he, he did the plays or the films? The He did... Uh, oh, he did the films of Who's Afraid oh, of Virginia Woolf okay. and The Graduate. Okay, yeah, okay. I, I was like, I was like, The Graduate uh, was a play. <laughs> yeah. At at uh, thirty five, he lived in a three story Central Park West penthouse, drove a Rolls Royce, collected Arabian horses, and was I, friends with. I am sensing a downfall, Jack. <laughs> uh, it's it doesn't say like that. It says the portrait is not always flattering. But it's richly interesting mm-hmm. triumph. It's a so it's a biography. Mm-hmm. Mike Nichols, probably someone that he you know knew personally, maybe, maybe. because yep. of their song being used in the. That must be interesting to be, to be a certain level of celebrity means that like eventually it's like oh like a five hundred page ghost written biography came out about my friend. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like someone who maybe you didn't like. Because you probably form these kind of like intense. I would imagine as a celebrity, you're you're making more intense friendships like in adulthood rather than people who are like, oh, I've just known him since we went to high school or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like all of a sudden you can read like an in-depth tell-all. Yeah. <laughs> and this person that you yeah. went on a yacht with or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of that's that's kind of just. I, th- I think leisurely reading for him, but it's also kind of like there, there is that angle though. Like, Oh, I know. And like my friend's secrets now. <laughs> right. Or maybe so he doesn't know him at all. Maybe he just likes his work. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, next one, David S Brown, the last American aristocrat. So here's him getting, you know, hmm. a little bit political again. He does a lot of that. So like, is that uh, nonfiction? Nonfiction reading. Yeah. Okay. I think. Oh, wait, no. Yeah, it's another biography. A biography of literary icon Henry Adams, one of America's most prominent writers, hmm. intellectuals. Right. Uh, let's see. Last member of his distinguished family after great-grandfather John Adams and grandfather John Quincy Adams. So there you go. There you go. He's a historian because he... Nepotism or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next one he read, P.G. Wodehouse. You've heard of this guy, uh, yep. Jeeves. Jeeves of the Feudal Spirit. Spirit or Sprite? I'm not sure. It's a typo. Hmm. I only like. I only know Wodehouse in the sense that like he has a super like novelist type name. Yeah, I know yeah. nothing about him. 
I've he's never a British read author. He's, it's all like you'll find him on the list of like funniest, but like in the old school kind of humor, humorish mm. way. Okay. And I, it's, I don't, I don't know. I have like a collection of his works that's just been sitting, and I've been wanting to read them. But uh, mm. he he wrote he wrote a ton of shit. Seventy novels, three hundred short stories. Christ. Uh, but yeah, well, I think he's got that that dry British humor. Right. So might be good looking into someday. Next one, Margaret Macmillan, Paris, nineteen nineteen. Okay. Also nonfiction. Uh, yes, another one. Uh, a reality junkie. I think it's about the peace conference after World War One, hmm. which obviously didn't work. <laughs> didn't work. Yeah. So that's another one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, narrative history. That's that's what this one's described as. So, oh, okay. He's so like, it might be a little, little what? I don't know. Like a like <laughs> narrative history to me sounds like they weave in some sort of like story that might not be like a hundred percent. You know, it might not be like some essay that's like historical facts, like yeah, on whatever. That's what that sentence says to me. But what do I know? I could see that. Got the uh, the next one here. Charles Terry, the music of Bach. That one's self-explanatory. So, right. I don't know if he I don't know if he makes music anymore, or if he has for the last like Art Garfunkel years. Yeah, I'm not sure if he makes new music, but uh, I don't know. Still interested in music, at least classical stuff. I don't know. I'm sure he's it's still interested in music. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got. He's like I had enough of the stuff. Yeah, yeah I never, I, I've never listened to music since 1980. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next one's Bernard Shaw, Pygmalion. It's one of those ones you always see at the bookstore. It's a play. Yeah, I've yeah, definitely... I've it's skim past Honestly, it. like, same category as Wodehouse, where it's like, I know the name Bernard Shaw, but, like, whatever. Yeah, it's, it's the play that became the film My Fair Lady. Interesting. So maybe just returning to the roots of, of a favorite mm-hmm. movie, is it his or something, or favorite play? Uh, next one, Joe Geis, Never Sit If You Can Dance. Good advice. This one is supposed to be a lighthearted, good humor, charming tale about the way things used to be. And that, whatever that means, old, um, old-fashioned geez. society. <laughs> Art Garfunkel's making America great again. I don't think it's like that. I think it's, <laughs> it's like uh, it's like uh, a tree grows in Brooklyn kind of thing, right? But that's yeah. what I. Whenever <laughs> something like that is like the way it used to be, I'm like, uh, I don't know. I get like tired of that stuff really quickly. It's loaded. Yep. Sure. Very loaded. Next one: Bob Woodward and Robert Costa, Peril from 2021. Okay. Uh, this That's one new. is about the Trump. This one's about the Trump presidency. I was gonna say Bob Woodward. I've heard that name, but I don't know where. Yeah. But now, when you say Trump, that means yeah, he's like one of like the Trump defectors or something. Yeah, it's one of the ones they pumped out like right when they knew that uh, Biden had won. So they're like tumultuous mm-hmm. time. Let's make like cash <laughs> grab, probably. Right. Well, they got our Garfunkel's money. Yeah. Next one, Amor, Amor Towels, Amor Tolls. I'm not sure how to 
pronounce mm. that, but a gentleman in Moscow from 2016. Like it's a story of Count Alexander Rostov when in 1922 he's deemed an unrepentant aristocrat by a Bolshevik tribunal. The Count is sentenced to house arrest as ordered to spend the rest of his life inside a luxury hotel. Huh. 19, that, 1930s Manhattan. That actually sounds kind of interesting to me. That's a novel? Uh, no, it's. I think it's a true story. Wow. Yeah, that does sound interesting to me. It's funny because I've actually been thinking that I should dabble in the dark side and read some nonfiction. And I was thinking about reading a book that's about the um, the Russian Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I read that Sholohov book um, that is like a fiction about the Russian Revolution. Um, but that's actually sounds like, what is that called? I'm going to write that down. A gentleman in Moscow. Oh, that's um. You know what that is? Is I know about this book because I once went to a movie theater here in LA. It's this really cool movie theater. I forget where it is, but they had a little section of books, and it had celebrities' favorite books, or like, <laughs> or like books that they've mentioned. And this is Tom Hanks. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. he he likes this book. He's trying to make a into a movie. Yeah, but now that it's like hit, like it's been in the back of my mind, but it's one of those things that now that it's hit the podcast, it's like I think I have to add it to my Amazon cart or yeah, whatever. Yeah, add it to the cart right now. Just to like, because the the like one coincidence is enough. Then two coincidences is like I gotta get on the same page as Art Garfunkel, literally. Yeah, and Tom Hanks. And Tom Hanks, of course. He seems like the kind of guy who would do this like library thing too. But maybe I know that Tom Hanks one one fun fact I know about Tom Hanks is that he collects typewriters. Does he use them or just collect them? I don't know. It's a good question. And it's pretty cool. There there are a lot of different vintage styles. I'd rather have a celebrity that collects vintage typewriters than one that does like cars like Jay Leno. Yeah, the cars thing is a bit much. Like it's, we a, get it. it's so much money too. <laughs> we get it. Seinfeld and Jay Leno. Yeah. All right. The next one is uh, Mel Brooks autobiography, oh. all about me. I bet you Art Garfunkel has met Mel Brooks. Yeah, I think so. He he dabbled in acting, but also just you know being a celebrity. Yeah, for sure. They've been yeah. at the same parties or something. Yeah. <laughs> It's a never before told behind the scenes anecdotes. Maybe he's Mel- mentioned in the, he might be mentioned in the book. We should look that up. Mel Brooks, my number one, absolute number one Hollywood Walk of Fame star. Do you know anything about his walk walk of fame star? Uh no. It's what? right in front of the Chinese theater, which is like, it's like you the know, first one. Yeah. Not 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 the first one, but the the Chinese theater has like kind of like the mecca of like what, Yeah, that's like, where you know, the good stuff. That's like the reference point, yeah. And Mel Brooks, I can't remember if it's both hands or just one hand, but when, you know, they do the thing where they, like, put their hands into the cement. Yeah, the, the wet cement, yeah. Yeah, and I can't, I can't remember if it's one hand or both, but I think one hand has six fingers. Really? Like, he put on a prosthetic finger to, like, make it seem oh. like he has six fingers. Of course he did, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. That's my, <laughs> that's my favorite Hollywood star. I thought you were about to tell me that you like put your hands down and they were like a perfect fit. Yes, me and Mel Brooks. 
I thought that's where you're going with that. I have like baby hands. I have like, because (laughs) all I do is work on a computer all day. I have like the hands of like a 12 year old boy. (laughs) Soft. (laughs) Soft, you know, unproven. (laughs) The, uh, all right. So you should go see if they are a good fit for Mel Brooks. All right. Next one with added another finger. The next one's James Michener caravans from 1963 michener is that guy who writes like he writes those books where it's like texas and then it's like 10 like a thousand pages and it's about like 15 generations of people in texas yeah he does stuff like that this one is about uh afghanistan whoa in the 60s jesus uh but i think this one's more of like a story it's like uh, follows someone, you know. No, Michener is a story. Yeah, yeah. It is. It's like the ones that are like, I can't remember anyone other than Texas. Texas. <laughs> but yeah, it's like it's like if you look him up, it's like this two thousand page book is about four, five generations of people throughout like the ranching of Texas or whatever. So Afghanistan seems. I wonder if he has any actual personal connection or if he just did like a ton of research. Uh, I don't know. It says a, it's a military man tasked with a dangerous assignment, finding and returning a young American woman living in Afghanistan to her distraught family after she suddenly and mysteriously disappears. And that man is the guy in Taken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was giving me some Clancy vibes. Clancy. I was trying to think of that name. Yeah. Jack Reacher. Is that the guy? Jack Reacher. Know. Who am I talking about who's the actor who got canceled? Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Liam Neeson. Yeah, that was an insane story. I don't, <laughs> I don't <laughs> We'll get into specifics, but look that up why he got canceled or whatever. Yeah. But I don't think it stuck, the canceling, but it's pretty no. wild. Like it's statement a wild, that he made. Yeah, it's a wild. Yeah. It's, a, it's out of left field. Yeah. All right, next one is there's all right, two left, and we're not going out with a bang. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, okay. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, the spiritual growth of a Republican man, which I believe I couldn't, I mean, couldn't find this. I think it's like a specific speech. Okay, Um, so it's just something that's not really a book put out there. Yeah. And uh, the last one from February of this year. So that means he's reading something big right now. If he hasn't updated it, uh, mm. he's probably reading something that's like a thousand pages or something. But Joe Scarborough's book, Saving Freedom, which is a nonfiction book about Harry S. Truman by the MSNBC Morning Joe guy. Oh, that's weird. I was like, because I was like, who the fuck is Joe? I was like, it's this list is just of names where I'm like I know that but I don't know that <laughs> and then that I think his face flashed in my mind when you said like the morning guy yeah. wait what did he write about he wrote about Harry S. Truman got a fucking hell some nonfiction book about Truman what's interesting about that is that I'm sure that there are like that book would probably be full of little things that you don't know about Truman but then every like 20 pages i feel like he would be like is this guy just like being an asshole or is it like i would need lots of asterisks and footnotes (laughs) to believe anything that was in that or it would just be like it can't be trusted 
Yeah, I'm not a big I'm not a big cable news guy on either side. The fact that he <laughs> so read like, that that's like another thing that makes me feel like he knows him. Yeah, it could be. So it's like think, why of all the things that you want to read about Truman, I'm sure that the Joe Scarborough book book is not like that's the one. Yeah, these are all <laughs> books. These are all books he picked up at an airport or something. Right. Like, yeah, I think a lot of these, most of them were not from his private collection. He like this is his library, but these are new editions. Right. And yeah. that's also like definitely you're hitting on something really interesting here, which is like the airport book is such a strange thing. Like you can't make an informed decision when you're in that state of mind, like at the airport. And it's all just like these, the availability of these very strange things. It's, it seems like it's like two massive ends of the spectrum. Like it's either you're going to read like Jane Austen or like the latest like thing about how Trump was a dick. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> some, some like, some like just rehashing the news thing. Yeah. Or yeah, maybe a couple classics or like yeah. the new Malcolm Gladwell called like yeah. shoot. And I actually I posted our I posted on our Twitter, which is as you know is very popular. And yeah. um I posted on our Twitter and one time I was in the airport and I was like, I don't understand the difference. There's there's usually actually two categories of bestseller at the airport where it's like there's one rack that's like baldacci and like you know rehashing the news and stuff and then there's like another rack that's like more like new york times novels like where the crawdads sing and other mm. stuff like that and i, I want i don't know the distinction it's like here's the bestsellers and then here's like the actual best-selling trash yeah <laughs> who chooses that like who do you think there's one book supplier to every airport like regardless of what the there's probably the some actual storefront is. Yeah, there's probably some massive monopoly that we don't know about. Yeah, and I'm sure I mean, it's also based on data. It's probably just sure. like you, you got bumped off the list. Sally Rooney. <laughs> but it seems like some stuff, you know, obviously, even with like King, you're like, they can just say bestseller every time and I'll, I'll believe it. Like, like the book isn't yeah. even out yet. And they'll be like, oh, it's a bestseller. Like it comes out new. Can first you get day that? As a can you get that distinction as a New York Times bestseller without even having? <laughs> I think they do that it. before they before they sell a copy. Like, doesn't it seem like new books are are called bestsellers? Is it pre pre sales? Do they do like GameStop shit where they have the midnight release? <laughs> like, I don't <laughs> think so. But you're on this. You're definitely on to something because yeah, it does seem like a lot of those hardcover newly minted books are like oh, it's a yeah. bestseller. It seems like they're talking about the bookstores that are buying it. Like, that's how it becomes a bestseller. <laughs> they're like, we bought 8 million copies, so it's already a bestseller. And now you're going to buy it. Right. Yeah. I don't know. But so that's that's what Art's been up to. He's definitely um, slowing down the, the like, explore, exploratory nature that we had seen in the the 70s and 80s. And I don't know. We should send him some bucks. <laughs> yeah, what happened, Art? What yeah. happened? We'll send him some of the stuff that we've read. Cool. All right, well, we decided we don't even remember because it's been so long since we did an episode. We don't even remember who's going first, but we decided you're going first. 
Yeah, I'll I'll, uh, I'll take a crack at it. So, I've been I've been such a piece of shit lately. Uh, I used I... to be a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I used yeah. Um, I went on vacation, got sick. I like was sick for a couple weeks. That like really threw me off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and trying to like get my daughter under you know she's like 22 months under still under two like trying to get her on a good sleep schedule it's just been killing me so mm-hmm. i've been picking up just different books reading like 50 pages 75 pages and then just like losing interest trailing off or like mm-hmm. that sort but of thing that's under the new rules of the new podcast that you can just cover that book and be like, i know i fucking like i stopped <laughs> or you know whatever <laughs> yeah i guess so if i don't want to finish it i feel like that's dishonest yeah, that's a lot no like, can, you yeah. just you have to declare that you didn't finish it but you can literally talk about one chapter if you want or <laughs> one page okay i can do that but for, so today though just for today I mean, well, I guess I need something really good to get me back in the group, though. So if you're out there and if you got that book, uh, hit me up. Well, dude, that's what happened with me. And I still remember it. I don't know how many episodes ago it was, but that book Matrix by Lauren Groff. I was like, I was fucking on fire. It was crazy. It was like I was reading that Martin Amos book that I didn't give a fuck about. And then it happened. It it will happen. Yep, it will. I got to will it to happen. So what I'm going to talk about this week instead is a book I, I read uh, uh, quite a while ago, probably six, six, seven years ago, which I read while recovering from knee surgery after I blew up my uh, ACL PLC. Ooh. And that era, that era was some of the most focused reading that I remember because I was immobilized. Right. <laughs> and like, you know, I'm a very active person that like was crazy for me and just, uh, I just tore through some books during that time. Got to burn the that's, brain down. Yeah, that's when I read Jude the Obscure. Mm. If I remember right. Uh, I I think I read this book in in one sitting in like a lawn chair, nice <laughs> summer day outside. It was, it was nice. nice with my leg propped up under another <laughs> chair. <laughs> so I'm talking about our uh, our old buddy Steinbeck and uh, nice. the way the wayward bus. Have you read this one? No, and what's funny about Steinbeck, I feel, is that his titles are so famous that then when you grab other ones, like I have covered Tortilla Flat, or this, you said The Wayward Bus, it's like, I've never heard of this shit. He's so famous that his, like, his famous books outweigh the other ones. Yeah. Uh, The Winter of Our Discontent. Is that this book? No, that's, that's... So, so the Grapes of Wrath came out in like 1944, 45 or something like that, I think. Mm -hmm. So this, this wayward bus was the follow up to Grapes of Wrath. So like, how do you, how do you, you know, follow up that one? The follow up as in just the next book or? The next one, not a sequel, uh, not a sequel, but yeah. Uh, So that, yeah, it was the Wayward Bus in 47. And then I think the Winter of Our Discontent in 49 or something. And I read, I I think I read both of those in the same, the same like week back Mm -hmm. then. But I'm just going to cover Wayward Bus today. Uh, But of course, you know, it's got the Steinbeck feel, Mm -hmm. the California Salinas Valley, Mm -hmm. strong character development. And this one's got a relatively small plot, so I'm not going to dive too deep because it's it's just a group of random people. I think there's nine distinct 
characters that are just catching a small bus ride from uh, uh, San San Isidro and San Juan de la Cruz, which is, I guess, they describe that as north of Los Angeles. Mm. Uh, so in this time, I guess Greyhound services cover both locations as okay, like a hub, yeah. but not in between the two. So it's like a smaller operation. Oh, okay. Just run run by this small time mechanic named Juan Chicoy. Uh, he and his wife and a few few young employees that he you know has under him. They operate like a small pit stop restaurant slash travel station that's just you know he it, it he like no one lives in this area it's just he exists just to mm -hmm. charter people <laughs> so they're just living off of, of that sort of thing mm -hmm. and just knowing like the steinbeck way of exploring a story what do you think happens in this book you got nine random people taking <laughs> a short bus ride and that's it so what do you think what do you think happens Wow. Um, that's really hard to say. I feel like <laughs> Steinbeck, especially because they aren't family. I feel like the other Steinbeck novels that I've read um, have this like heavy kind of like, there's going to be a betrayal between brothers or, you know, like something like really weighty like that, or like the man who raised us isn't who we thought he was, you know, like, mm -hmm. but since it's nine strangers, um i don't know well, a, few it's are, a few are related i should clarify okay well the the description of the station in between and the bus ride itself is actually reminding me of an old movie that i'd love to rewatch. that anyone should watch it's like this awesome old hollywood movie called heat lightning uh, i think i've heard of that really really it's about uh it's about like a desert rest stop diner and just like people like staying there over one night and it's like really crazy um it's really good um i don't know do they even do they make it to their destination <laughs> i mean i guess it's not really a spoiler if i say yes yeah is the bus driver involved is he a character <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's it's it's one it's it's oh one. okay it's one okay. yeah cool so i'll just let you know not not much the answer is not much happens you know it's more mm -hmm. of like a, a character study but i guess you know there's some drama there's some secrets there's some of that like hanging emotions kind of thing where mm -hmm. that that he's just so good at right. uh where you know you can you, one character is like really naive and and optimistic and like the other characters like playing along but you can you know that they're not in it yeah it's like a you know mouse game kind of yeah thing. yeah okay it's uh just you know he's he's fantastic though so. and you said you read it in one sitting so is it like a like 150 page like back pocket paper book paperback uh, type of thing i think it was more like 225 oh, okay just like a, a a decent size nice nice novel not a, not a monster, but mm -hmm. but it's you know it's like a quarter of the way through the book at least before the bus even sets off. You know, there's mm -hmm. it, it just explores the the space and describing the landscape and this this pit stop and mm -hmm. all these characters like small interior lives and you know they're only driving like 50 miles <laughs> like <it's> not... <laughs> but you got a really interesting cast of characters here like so you got uh you got Juan and his wife you know she she kind of runs like the the restaurant there 
and uh so she she basically she kind of has like one employee and he he has a couple employees like under them um uh but as far as like the actual uh travelers on the bus there's a you'll like this one a, a tra traveling novelty gag gift salesman nice yep <laughs> similar to the project that you <laughs> kind of worked on there's a there's a husband and wife duo with their like college college age daughter okay uh there's a, a beautiful woman on the bus who's like the attention has it grabs the attention of all the the men of course oh, of course and so she's kind of concealing the fact that she's like a stripper from everyone by she's making up stuff about her identity the the, mm -hmm. the whole way and like i said there's a super naive young woman there who kind of latches onto her mm. and it's like already you know planning her life out mm -hmm. with this person she just met like oh we're best friends like just because she's impressed to see anyone who's like different than her small town whatever right you know <laughs> so so that's kind of the basis of the story you can see like how things might become dramatic uh even just just a different kind of group of people and you throw in the fact there's some you know inclement weather uh passengers having to walk for a little bit and mm -hmm. the the driver juan just kind of wanting some change so desperately in his life that he like drives the bus off the road <laughs> like mm -hmm. so just stuff like uh, there's there's a lot of cool stuff in this and quite a bit of drama but it really doesn't matter uh you can't really go wrong with with Steinbeck. It's yeah, it's timeless writing. Everything he does is mostly timeless sort of stuff because it's just about what makes people tick, which really doesn't change much over time. Right. Yeah. It's not yeah. like they're you know on TikTok or something. Yeah. <laughs> not a not a cell phone in sight. Just <laughs> vibing. Vibing. <laughs> uh, but it, I would say it's not as good as like the big ones, uh, East of Eden, Grace of Wrath. You know. Still, still a good read, though. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of difficulty with having. I mean, there's no like such thing said, as yeah. there's no such thing as difficulty of having an American classic in your portfolio, but the idea that they overshadow everything. Like, there's even I've actually looked it up before. There's an episode of Frasier where Niles says, "Like, I got a first edition Steinbeck of something called Jane the Virgin," and I'm like. I've never heard like I even looked it up and Googled it and I like couldn't even find it. I was like Niles is like <laughs> tripping balls or something. <laughs> I thought that was a TV show. I have no idea, dude. I mean, maybe I'm getting like what he's saying wrong. Like I should turn subtitles on and see like what he's saying. But yeah, maybe I have no idea. <laughs> couldn't even find it. So. But yeah, all of his stuff is worth reading. Pretty sure. Uh, the Winter of Our Discontent, too. I, I I remember enjoying that one as well, but I didn't remember the story as well as I remember this one. So I wanted to nice. just cover this one. Nice. And uh, yeah, I had a hard time finding one-star reviews from this one. Mm -hmm. I only found one of them. Uh, the people who gave it one star on Goodreads didn't bother to write anything, like any explanation. <laughs> so I got one from Amazon. So this guy named Roy. This book takes you on a ride that will possibly leave you nauseous with little appetite to read any Steinbeck for some time. The wayward bus is filled with characters you'll come to know and loathe and has the added benefit of leaving you depressed and hating humanity a tad bit more. It's a masterpiece in the same way looking at a train wreck in slow motion captivates the attention. Reader beware. 
I never so. understand people like Roy where it's like, like, I don't know if I've been trained or something like that into, you know, like you, you do find a lot of book reviews where it's like, I hated the main character. And it's yeah. like, do you really think that the author didn't think about that? Yeah. Like, didn't like, like want you. Yeah. It's by design. Yeah. Right? It's like, it's like the same thing of people who are like, you know, they watch a movie or a TV show and they're like, I fucking hate Draco Malfoy. And it's like, <laughs> no shit, dude. Like that's like the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and I think most of the time, I mean, most of the time it comes to bite them in the ass. Like if you just pay attention, that's where a lot of stories go. Like mm -hmm. if you hate them so much, you should be satisfied by like, their karmic retribution that usually comes. I do think know? that that's a little bit of an old world thing too, though. Like if you listen to like a lot of older music and stuff, especially music, I feel more is like this song is about how, like I'm assuming the mind of a criminal and how he may or may not be like that bad, you know, like even classic stuff, like I shot the sheriff or like lots of old country music and stuff is like mm -hmm. about like this guy killed his wife. But it's yeah. like, a, like an emotional song from his perspective. And there's like, I feel like there was like a lot of more almost like veneration of criminal mindset and activity versus now it's like you're fucking canceled. You like you, you know, you you littered. Yeah, well, I mean, it, <laughs> you can just ex explore it without even really diving into anything. I'm just thinking of like, hey, Joe, mm -hmm. bye. <laughs> by Hendrix right it's like there's nothing there's lyric wise it's not like a big analysis you know mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's a good song right <laughs> but anyways uh another I and I found another one-star review uh about someone who bought a cheap copy and it had the number the page numbers all messed up so it had parts of chapter four like inserted in between the middle of <laughs> chapter five <Awesome>. so that <laughs> so it went page 46 through 72 and then 56 through like 60 something and remix I yeah <laughs> i know what do you do at that point You'd rip them out and tape them back in or something i don't know you just choose your own adventure i think yeah that's kind of like uh infinite jest style just yeah. treat it as like a footnote yeah <laughs> flipping back and forth yeah <laughs> that all <laughs> that would also be annoying to check every page or yeah, i wonder that, if i wonder if that person's book that was like misbound has like cool connections you know how like first and last sometimes like works yeah it would yeah. be like for like oh it, it works from chapter seven to chapter 12 <laughs> maybe in a different type of book and this probably not <laughs> be like oh they wrote they drove backwards it's like it, it's it's a literally about a to b hmm. like tr movement <laughs> i don't know but so i want to talk about one more thing real quick uh in my research for this i found out about a book from late 2020 that sounded pretty interesting mm -hmm. it's another like nonfiction, but something to look into i found it from this article on insidehook.com called What John Steinbeck Got Right and Wrong About America 50 Years Ago, a talk with the Nobel Prize winner's biographer about the writer's 1960 drive across the country. Cool. So you did, you did a drive across the country. I've, I've done most of it. But mm -hmm. uh, in 1960, Steinbeck decided to hitch a trailer to a pickup truck, leave New York, and take a round trip around the U.S. Common, common thing to be inspired to do. 
as he prepped his RV, nicknamed uh, Rosinant after Don Quixote's uh, horse, which is cool. Nerd. He, re- <laughs> he recalled a similar trip he had taken in 1936 that was the inspiration for Grapes of Wrath. Uh, so the book is called... Oh, wait, no. So there, this is this is a book. Another Here's like a... No, it's on theme with books that we'd never heard of by him. The second road trip of his would lead to one of his last books, 1962's Charming, Angry, and in the time, Controversial, Travels with Charlie in Search of America. Hmm. Not heard of that. Yeah, me neither. Um, he had reasons to escape. He'd spent years working on a novel based on uh, Thomas Mallory's Le Morts de Arthur. So like King Arthur. Mm-hmm. But the project defeated him. That would have been cool. The the novels he finished instead, The Wayward Bus, The Winter of Our Discontent, were decidedly minor. <laughs> He'd suffered what was likely a stroke in late 1959. Uh, two and a half months circumnavigation of the country, accompanied by his poodle, Charlie. Wow. Masculine. And... <laughs> so who you got? Uh... Steinbeck's poodle or Hemingway's cats? I'd take Hemingway's cats any day. <laughs> I'm a fucking poodle in my life. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm kind of interested in reading, first of all, that book from Steinbeck and then also the, the biographer's uh, background yeah. on nice. this trip. Sounds cool. Cool. So, yeah, what do, what do you got this week? Um, so this week I actually just looked at my first and last of this week and I want to share it really quickly because it actually, it's really good actually. Um, when Hanyo regained consciousness, everything around him dazzled so brightly, he thought he might be in heaven. Last sentence is the stars blurred and a myriad of lights blended into one. That was planned. That, that's definitely fucking planned, dude. Um, okay. So. I will ask you, I hold a book in my hand, right? Mm -hmm. And this book that I hold in my hand, I want you, if I were to tell you that I read a book about a single Japanese gentleman who recently left his job and is now living an aimless life, Mm -hmm. who do you think it would be by? Yeah, it's that's easy one. It's Miyazaki for sure. That was my guess, anyways, off of like. Well, Miyazaki is the famous Studio Ghibli director. Oh man, I've had that on my head. Sorry, because <laughs> uh, we've been we've been watching those movies. Oh, very uh, nice. Round the clock. My my daughter's a huge fan. Hell yeah! I can't. I actually should intro my uh, my niece anyway. <laughs> you should. So take another stab. Yeah, it's Murakami. Sorry. Murakami. So <laughs> you would think that it is Murakami. And but you I would be would. you did. would be incorrect because the book that I'm holding in my hand that is about a single Japanese man recently le- leaving his job and living a life an aimless life in Tokyo is by Yukio Mishima. Okay the intense Japanese author of Confessions of a Mask and other things that I have probably covered on this podcast. Um, 
And what is so shocking about this book, first of all, the, my what I hold in my hand is Yu-Gi-Oh! Mishima Life for Sale. And what's crazy about this book is that there has actually been a resurgence of newly translated Mishima books. I think that it's taken, you know, years, like basically like since Paul Schrader's film Mishima, which was like made in the 70s. And, you know, just people like myself, like kind of discovering Mishima, like, oh, my God, he's so good, blah, 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 whatever. But also, I think kind of we've talked about the history of Mishima on this podcast, but he's a very sort of like controversial right wing figure within Japan. And I think that. I mean, I don't like far be it for me to fully analyze the situation 100%, but I could also see how at a certain point, like he wasn't necessarily breaking through all the way because like, for instance, when I visited Japan and I talked to native Japanese people, I was like, I was like, you know, tell me like, seriously, like as someone who's, you know, a millennial or whatever, I'm like, I love Mishima. Like, isn't it weird here to like love Mishima? And they're like, yeah. Yeah, it's like weird <laughs> yeah, because that. it's weird because he's like a car, like, you know, he like tried to take over the government unsuccessfully and like committed suicide in the government building and like is just a right wing sort of like the emperor is God nut job. Yeah. Um, who happens to have written, you know, a lot of insanely beautiful novels. But so I'm I'm saying all this explanation in saying that there have been new English translations, like things that went untranslated for like 40 years or 50 years or whatever. And now there's like a bit of a resurgence. So this was translated by Stephen Dodd in 2019, but originally published by Mishima in 1968, which is interesting because it's sort of um, it's one of the last books of his in his later career that happens before um what they call the sea of fertility, which is his last four books that were like incredibly serious and like, so Mishima about like death and reincarnation and committing suicide and stuff like that. Everything that he was obsessed with, but life for sale is this crazy book that has so many similarities to um, Murakami and kind of that style of like, it's very humorous. And it's very strange Mishima book in the sense that I feel unless there's other ones that I have yet to explore or ones that have yet to be translated, it's extremely lighthearted. So the that, theme yeah, that sounds off. Uh, that sounds not part. Yeah, yeah, not part of his portfolio. So the theme of life for sale is the literal title of it. And actually, this book comes to me via my wife, Daria, because she listened to it on audiobook, And she was like, oh, there's like I was like, there's a new Mishima. And, um, you know, obviously I hadn't picked it up. It was translated in 2019. I saw a few articles about how new Mishima stuff is coming out. She listened to it and said it was really good and really funny and stuff. And I was like, OK. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, funny. You're like, what? So the concept for life for sale is that it begins with a guy waking up, like having unsuccessfully like tried to commit suicide. So he tried to kill himself by like taking a bunch of pills. He wakes up and essentially he's like adopts this attitude of like, if I tried to, if like, if I was fully committed to committing suicide and it didn't work, then my life is like, in a sense, like, it's it's over the border into like meaninglessness. Like I don't like I have this newfound sense of reality where it, it doesn't matter if I walk into the street and get hit by a bus. It doesn't matter if 
I like I should like rationally have no fear in a way. Yeah, it's a lease new lease on life, but in right. the in a the negative sense. Bad way. Yeah. In a bad way. So what he does is basically he places a newspaper ad as people are wont to do in the 60s, the only way to communicate publicly, 60s and 70s. And he basically places a newspaper ad where he's like, hey, my life is for sale. Like, come to my address, like come to my apartment, tell me, you know, whatever, life for sale. Like, like terms can be negotiated or whatever. And the book is broken up into several chapters of how one kind of like episode leads into another where people are arriving in his life and be and kind of saying like, your life is for sale. Like, are you are you for real? Like, are you fully committed to possibly dying like for some tasks that I'm going to give you? And he's like, yep, like, I don't care. So like one guy, like one of the first guys is a guy who's like, my wife is cheating on me. And what I want you to do is I want you to go and have sex with her and then like find out everything that's going on with her. And that, but you're also probably going to die because she's cheating on me with like a gangster, like okay, a, like yeah. a violent, Yakuza. yeah, like, a, like, yeah, like yeah. not, not necessarily Yakuza. It's actually um, like throughout the book, like this small theme starts that there's like a secret underground society in Tokyo that like this guy happens to be a member of. But as you can imagine, to have the fodder for like a full novel, it's that the first like person that he sells his life to, it's not necessarily like successful, right? Sure. Yeah. So it's like he sells his life to this guy. He goes and does what he asks. And then he finds out the information that he wants. And the guy's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you didn't die. Like we were dealing with these like, you know, gangsters. And like he's he's, you know, he's sleeping with my wife. And like I thought like you would definitely be killed like for their secrecy or whatever. But obviously and this tends to happen in Murakami novels as well, right? Is that these people, like a, a guy's life takes like a weird like curveball, but then all of a sudden it like works out for him, like money wise, romance wise, like all these different things. So that's also what happens is that since people take his life for sale ad seriously, they're like, okay, I'm going to give you, you know, the equivalent of like, you know, $5,000 or like, does money mean anything to you like at all or whatever? And he's essentially goes through a few different jobs where he's like, I have more money than I ever had when I was working because yeah. I don't give a shit about anything. Um, so like, that's like one of the first ones. Um, I can't remember every, every single one of the people who uh, like hired him, but one of the ones that's like really quirky is that a woman hires him who is, and this is like kind of goes into a little bit of like Murakami style magic realism as well, that a woman hires him who is a single mother who has a young son that he gets along with, but the mother is not in like the full magical sense, but in like a more realistic grounded sense, she's a vampire. She like drinks his blood. So like okay. your life is, your life like is for a cult. Yeah. Yeah. She, <laughs> yeah. It's like a little bit of like an, uh, like an occult sort of like vibe where it's occult, like your, your life is for sale. So like, you're going to be my new boyfriend. But what I do with my boyfriends is that I like, you know, before we make love, I like cut open your arm and like drink it. And like, she's getting more and more vivacious and like lovely and young. And he's like wasting away to nothing. And he's like, well, this is what I signed up for. Like I, you know, like life for sale or whatever. But I actually, what I marked off in my 
book as I went along and I, you know, make little marks on the pages is like just some things that were so like, so, so, so Murakami. Like for instance, on page 35 of my edition, it's like he's in his apartment. And I think it's during one of the first, um, you know, times that someone buys his life, you know, uh, Hanyo gets up from the table and he puts on Debussy's La Cathedral Anguluti on the stereo. And it's like, that is so Murakami to like specifically say Debussy, like this track, like, you know, whatever. And that actually happens to be when he's in his apartment cooking a meal. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? Like Murakami, like apparently you're not as original as I thought. Yeah, you should have asked me that question too. <laughs> you're right. like, and. Yeah, and he cooks for yeah. himself. Um, With the soundtrack. Yeah, no, and there, like, obviously, there's also a lot of really cool. What's interesting about this book is that you just never really, if you're a Mishima fan, you never really knew that he would write like this or have fun like this or possibly write like this for money, maybe. Like, maybe he was just like, I'm going to write like a try to write like a more popularized novel. Um, that's in some of the reviews of it out there. But then, like, I also highlighted this paragraph, which was more sort of like Mishima. Quick paragraph. Once the world has been transformed into something meaningful, some feel they can die without regret. Others feel that they exist in a world without meaning. So what's the point of living? But where do these two sets of feelings converge? For Hanyo, both paths led to the same thing. Death. So like that is a more like a Mishima thing. Mm -hmm. um, but then here's a sentence that's like very Murakami to me. The woman's gaping mouth appeared as a dark cavity present that presented a secret route to the end of the world. It's like, come on. That's like a Murakami thing. That's like, yeah. he always like the ends chapters like that, where he's like, and then a fucking ghost came out of nowhere as if, <laughs> you know, like whatever. Sure. Um, another really funny sentence in here. This is neither Mish like light. This is unlike Mishima, but also not like Murakami. This is like a funny sentence that I just marked down towards the end of the book. He says, Society operates smoothly precisely because people remain unaware of their own smell. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very true. He because that that fits in perfectly with him too. Because he, I'm sure he was like deathly aware of his own smell at all times. Right, is like yeah, you know, extreme, su super working out and everything. Yeah, vanity and everything. But yeah, I mean, it it was really fun. It's really cool. Um, you know, it collapses in on itself to the point where some of the people in the first, like some of the first people that buy his life go and then they like like they return in the end and all this stuff. And of course, crazy stuff happens. Like it's coming back to me now that one of the women who buys his life ends up like committing suicide herself, like or I think maybe the assassination like people like actually like kill her like in front of him. And he's like, he's just going through this like thing where it's like, what the fuck is going on? Like once you sell your life, all bets are off and it's just like a wild ride until the very end. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it was really good. It was crazy surprising to be a Mishima fan. And then like this comes out and you're just like, what? Like, I didn't even know that he kind of like lived anywhere near this mindset. So it was really cool, and it was a good read. It's also extremely easy to read, like crazy easy to read. Uh, I think I read it in like two days. Um, but I do have a one-star review from Goodreads. Um, okay. From Anna Katerina, she rated it one-star review. I would say that I agree with this whole paragraph in a way. I wouldn't give it one star just because it was so fun. But um, I'll read the whole paragraph. 
An atypical Mishima work. It doesn't have the eloquence and clever cynicism that I'm used to. Only a fervent, delirious, a delirious imagination and scarce glimpse of poetry. It's not a page turner as much as it is an easy read, which is very appropriate to its purpose since this work was published in a Playboy magazine. I didn't even know that. I would I would re <laughs> I would re-verify that. I'm not really 100 percent sure that's true. And proves Mishima's the fact, yeah. Yeah, proves Mishima's ability to adapt his works to a broader audience and to the demands of those who of the demands of those who hired him. Uh, hence, it's not as dark, beautiful, and sophisticated as his novels usually are, but a very juvenile, easy-to-grasp short tale that doesn't really add much to the already disclosed depth of his soul, but it's still amusing. Um, I don't know how you write that paragraph and then give it a one star, because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, you know, the, I, I think it would have more merit than that. A lot of the other people, like one-star reviews, um, I could see pretty typically is that the treatment of women in this book is very like it's kind of like almost comical to the sense where like the main character is like yeah i don't give a shit about my life but i keep getting laid like every like few pages like pretty much every woman that he meets he ends up like sleeping with and just like yeah it's because i don't care um which is interesting because obviously we also know that mishima was closeted and gay mm -hmm. um uh yeah so a lot of the one star reviews are basically just people being like men are garbage um but yeah i mean it was really fun it was so surprising to read as like a you know dedicated mishima fan I was like what the hell is happening and honestly i want to grill on, on the day that i meet murakami which is coming soon i'll have to grill him about this book be like hey bro did you read life for sale when you were younger and then don't lie. And that's like a big secret. Don't lie because it only got translated to the West in 2019 and you're really popular all over the world. So don't lie. Yeah. Um, they, but yeah, they, it was if, awesome. If he runs, if he starts running away though, you'll never catch him. Yeah. Except, oh yeah. He could run a fucking marathon. <laughs> um, that's what I'm training for. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you're interested in a, in a almost seamless mix of Mishima and Murakami, which I honestly don't know if I would have ever been able to say that sentence before I read Life for Sale, then check it out. Nice. Sounds good. How big is that book, by the way? Oh, it's so easy to read. It's uh, my yeah, edition is a hundred. I'm sure if it was a, a quick read. Hundred reasons, or... Hundred and eighty-eight pages took me two days to read. Okay, two nice. three days. Cool. Well, uh, thanks for listening again, everybody. We're hoping to get episodes to you sooner, but we took a massive break once again. Uh, this has been Shitty Book Reports. Uh, you can find us everywhere that podcasts are free and not sold. We are on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Instagram, Stitcher. And we do most of our posting on Twitter. So uh, check us out there and uh, see you next time. Yeah, see you.